When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Memorial Day weekend. Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, start of summer feels... uh, I don't know. It feels like any other Friday, quite frankly. I'm just, uh, look, we got that bad news out of Texas, and it's getting worse. You see the pictures of the kids, by the way, on the front of the papers, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, every single picture of these kids, beautiful kids, and the two teachers just, um, and now, really, it looks like there was a colossal, colossal screw-up. So many people making horrible decisions, just standing around when they should have been doing what they were sworn and trained to do. Bust in there and start shooting the bad guy. I'm sorry, but it just comes down to it like that. Now, we just had a, a, a public official. Looks like, I'm not sure who he is. Is he a sheriff? Is he whatever? I don't know. He's wearing a he's wearing a law enforcement getup in Texas. He was not the guy who was on yesterday, and he's saying it was a mistake to wait to breach the door. Okay, yeah, well, let me read here from the Associated Press. Nearly 20 officers stood in a hallway outside of the classrooms during this week's attack on a Texas elementary school for more than 45 minutes before agents used a master key to open a door and confront the gunman, authorities said. 45 minutes. The on-site commander believed the gunman, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, was barricaded in a classroom at Robb Elementary in Yovaldi during Tuesday's attack and that the children were not at risk. How the hell could he have made that assessment? Texas Department of Public Safety Director Stephen McGraw said at the news conference, he was convinced at the time there was no more threat to the children and that the subject was barricaded and that they had time to organize to get into the classroom, McGraw said. Of course, it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision. The guy was in there with 19 kids, dead. And by the way, maybe some of them weren't dead. Were they bleeding out? How about getting in there? Gosh, the, the delay in taking this guy out. All those children. You don't get in there. They were saying yesterday that uh, we immediately took care of it once we... Once we killed the guy, we immediately started our rescue operation. Well, it's not immediate. It was an hour late. McGraw said U.S. Border Patrol agents. Hey, how the hell close is this to the border, by the way? Right? San Antonio. I know it's South Texas, but that's some distance. McGraw said U.S. Border Patrol agents eventually used a master key to open the locked door of the classroom where they confronted and killed Ramos, who killed 19 students and two teachers. Waiting for the key? Now, I know it's, um, <laughs> we've seen it in the movies, you, 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 you shoot the door open. We've all been in school. These classroom doors do not have, they're not solid. They, they have windows. They have windows on purpose for a reason. They also have, the door has windows, and the actual classroom itself has windows. They got f- 
all these officers waiting outside in the hallway for 45 minutes till somebody arrives with the right key? This is broader, by the way, than this one department. I'll get to that in a second. Um, McGraw said there was a barrage of gunfire shortly after Ramos entered the classroom where they killed Ramos, but that shots were sporadic for much of the 48 minutes while officers waited outside the hallway. He said investigators do not know if or how many children died during those 48 minutes. Throughout the attack, teachers and children repeatedly called 911 asking for help. Yeah, these kids have cell phones in school. A girl pleaded with 911, please send the police now. Questions have mounted over the amount of time it took officers to enter the school to confront the gunman. It was 1128 in the morning Tuesday when Ramos's Ford pickup slammed into a ditch behind the low-slung Texas school and the driver jumped out carrying an AR-15 style rifle. Twelve minutes after that, authorities said the 18-year-old Ramos entered the halls of Robb Elementary and found his way to a fourth-grade classroom where he killed 19 students and two teachers in a still unexplained spasm of violence. Okay, that's at what time now? 1140. 11.40 he enters the school. But it wasn't until 12.58 p.m. that law enforcement radio chatter said Ramos had been killed and the siege was over. What happened in those 90 minutes, I guess, from the car crash to the actual uh, killing of this guy in a working-class neighborhood near the edge of town has fueled mounting public anger and scrutiny over law enforcement's response to Tuesday's rampage. They say they rushed in, said Javier Cesares, whose fourth grader daughter Jacqueline was killed in the attack and who raced to the school as the massacre unfolded. We did not see that, he said. Friday's update on the attack's timeline came only after authorities declined to explain why officers had not been able to stop the shooter sooner. With Victor Escalon, regional director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, telling reporters Thursday that he had taken all those questions into consideration but was not ready to answer them. Yeah, that was that disastrous, weird press conference we highlighted yesterday, and I did last night. Hey, do me a favor, Kevin. As soon as you got this sound from the um, from McGraw from this afternoon, let me know, okay? The Thursday briefing called by Texas safety officials to clarify the timeline of the attack provided bits of previously unknown information, but by the time it ended, it had added to the troubling questions surrounding the attack, including about the time it took police to reach the scene and confront the gunman and the apparent failure to lock a school door he entered. After two days of providing often conflicting information, investigators said that a school district police officer was not inside the school when Ramos arrived. And contrary to their previous reports, the officer had not confronted Ramos outside the building. Instead, they sketched out a timeline notable for unexplained delays by law enforcement. How could this have happened? Now, one thing I am, um, we all support law enforcement and Black Lives Matter summer and beyond. You know, what was the first thing they talked about. We got to get the cops out of the schools. Oh, we can't have cops there. Remember how demonized they were in the horrendous overreaction to George Floyd's death? Defund the cops. Cancel the cop. The mayor of this city embraced defund the cops. Defund the cops. Systemically racist. Police were invented to catch slaves, runaway slaves. I heard that fantasy, too. So for the past couple of years, cops have been fighting to survive and still command authority on the streets. So I think part of that may have led to this moment. They're not focusing on excellence. They're focusing on survival, on not getting arrested, believe it or not. Still, 
I could have told you, and I'm not a cop. Look, I was in the military for a bit, but I'm not a, you know, I know, I know some things from my dad, some insight, but I've never walked a beat. I've never done any of this stuff. I do know what it's like to have enemy fire come in, and um, man, oh man, it's uh, it can be very, <laughs> just, it's, it's, ooh, I hope it doesn't happen to you. But there's some things they um, they needed to do that they didn't. Now, after, after Columbine, everything was supposed to change. Everything was supposed to change. Columbine, what did they do? They waited for the news, uh, I'm sorry, the SWAT team to arrive, and that's what they did here. Eric uh, Harris and Dylan Klebold start firing up Columbine High School. Cops arrive, they hear shooting, and then they say, well, we've got to bring in the heavy weapons. We've got to bring in the SWAT team. And they sit around, dicking around for all those, an hour, until the SWAT team arrives. You don't do that. You go charging in. That was the big takeaway. It's not me saying that. This is law enforcement. Listen to this. Cut 30, please. Cut 30. These are various law enforcement executives talking about the lessons learned from Columbine. You'll also hear some news media reports interspersed in there. Cut 30. Tactics have changed because of Columbine. In that era, police waited for a SWAT team, and in those minutes, the shooters kept killing. It changed everything. Prior to Columbine, nobody understood what the term active shooter meant. Like I said, it was the wrong plan. We were not forward-thinking enough to say, wait a minute, by the time SWAT gets there, it's way too late. And it took this, um, it took Columbine for us to change our mind. Well... The lessons of Columbine have been forgotten. How could you forget? How could you forget? Well, it was 23 years ago. But we got school shootings all the, over the place. They forgot. They forgot. All right, so we got McGraw here. This is the new spokesman who's owning up to some things. Let's go. This happened just a couple of minutes ago. This is the uh, director of public safety, I think. Go ahead. The on-scene commander considered a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch- more children at risk. Obviously, obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. Not a barricaded subject. All right. I'd like to hear a little bit more from that because, uh, well, I got questions, and it's not adding up. At least they're acknowledging some mistakes. A law enforcement official said that once in the building, the agents had trouble breaching the classroom door and had to get a staff member to open the room with a key. The official spoke on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to talk publicly. This is from the AP. Uh, Lieutenant Christopher Oliveras told uh, reporters that investigators were trying to establish whether the classroom was, in fact, locked or barricaded in some way. Uh, so when he arrived, he saw two officers outside the school and about five others escorting students out of the building. But 15 or 20 minutes passed before the arrival of officers with shields equipped to confront the gunman. I'm sorry. If you have a gun, you are equipped to confront the gunman. All these systems and protocols and uh, 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 high tech armor and the helmets and the negotiators and the. What did he say? We need surgical marksmen on scene. And they called county for all this stuff, and they waited around for it. Are you kidding me? It takes a guy, a brave cop with a gun. You can take out somebody with one bullet in the head. I know, body armor. Forget the body armor. It's not like the movies where they shoot 50 times and miss. You realize nobody's ever been shot in a movie. You ever notice that? At least no. it's like the good guys never get shot. 
thousands of bullets all over the place. Nobody can aim in the movies. It takes one well-aimed shot. I was thinking about this in, um, I mean, I hate to make the comparison to the movies, but remember in French Connection when, what's that guy's name? The older guy. Uh, Gene Hackman is going into his apartment and a sharpshooter <laughs> tries to kill him from the roof. Did he run away and call the SWAT team? No. He goes in there. He takes out his thirty-eight, even though the guy on the roof has a rifle. And what does he do? He gets close to the building, and he's going under windows, and he goes in there to get the guy. The guy already escaped, and then he's got to get into his car, and that old nut. <laughs> but it's common sense. And I had that great caller yesterday, Marianne from Connecticut, who said, look, uh, procedures and protocol and equipment, it's great, but don't let that stuff get in the way of your instincts. Get in the way of what you're supposed to do. I have this mind, I have this image. I wish I could place it of two cops. They were not wearing helmets. This was in the late 70s, running into a situation. They weren't emergency service unit cops. They weren't they weren't a SWAT team or anything like that. They just responded because time was of the essence and they had to. So Looks like a huge disaster. Oh, by the way, we have one of the most moronic people around. I know you know this. I know it. AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? She says that uh, LGBTQ people don't do these kinds of things. LGBTQ people. It's all white men. It's all white men. And she's not the only one saying this crap. Cut 33. Most of these shooters are young white men. That's the root of a lot of this. It's, it's white privilege, it's white nationalism, it's anger, it's rage, it's incels, it's all these different kinds of things, which is one of the reasons why background checks and other things aren't really working, because many of these angry white men, these modern-day M&Ms, are basically ticking time bombs. This is about a trained, cohesive ideology of hatred and violence, whether it is explicit white supremacy. Explicit white supremacy? But remember, because who's the highest in the totem on the totem pole here in America these days with our left-leaning woke culture? LGBTQ. And they would never do anything like this. Look, people are people. <laughs> Some of them are going to be terrible. I don't care what color. But this is wrong, AOC. And why is it important to uh, stop this woman? Well, because she has a damn good chance to be the next president of the United States. I hate to say it, but it's true. And we can't let this idiot go much further. All right. We got to keep her as irrelevant as possible and defeat her. Cut 33, please. No, no, no. You played that one? No, you didn't play that one. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Cut 34, please. We have the radicalization of young men. This is an issue. Um, young women are not doing this. Young non-binary people are not doing this. Trans people are not doing this. This is an issue that we have. Wrong. <laughs> you see my Newsmax show last night? I went into like 50 examples of non-binary, lesbian, gay, you name it, trans, especially trans. One of the most famous uh, hostage situations in American history was done for the benefit of a trans spouse of the bank robber who happened to be gay who wanted to get money for the sex change operation. You've actually heard of this. Real quick, 36. Go back there, man. Get over there, will ya? He wants to kill me so bad, he can taste it. I'm always going to kill you. Hey, 
Remember this? Dog day afternoon. Dog day afternoon. People, there are good people, there are bad people. Gender, orientation, race, all that stuff has nothing to do with it, AOC. Nothing to do with it, uh, Trevor Noah and the rest. You fake news fools. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, great movie, by the way, huh? Attica, Attica. It's true. Al Pacino was playing a guy named John Vodovich, who was a, um, well, uh, happened to be gay, happened to be very active in the uh, community and had a uh, spouse who was a man but wanted to be a woman. And the bank robbery was uh, carried out to raise funds for the sex change operation. That does not really fit with uh, AOC's narrative that uh, non-binary <laughs> uh, T people don't do these kinds of things. All kinds of people do all kinds of things, okay? And by the way, the most recent serial killer we had in New York was that, uh, what's his name, Marcelin, an 80-year-old transgender woman who's killed at least two people, probably three, Spent 50 years in jail, killed somebody in the early 60s, released on parole in the early 80s, killed somebody else in the mid-80s, then got released from jail two years ago. And it looks like they, well, found a person that they didn't like, a woman in Brooklyn. Marceline allegedly chopped the individual up into little pieces and left them around the neighborhood. Uh, The accused, who spent all that time in prison, by the way, is a transgender woman. You see, AOC, all right? And the demonization of white men, it's not only it's offensive, but it's also kind of a waste of time. It's just stupid. It's like racial profiling. You know, I thought last night I showed, OK, yeah, here's a whole here's a whole screen full of uh, white uh, young men who killed people. Well, here's a whole screen full of people of color who did the same thing. Here's a whole screen full of uh, a lesbian, transgender, gay, you name it. But to to profile like this. Hey, profiling is supposed to be a bad thing, right? It is. All right, we have this guy. This is Steve McGraw. Do I want to do anything else first before that? Look, it's so good that it's the weekend. It really is. And you know what? I remember somebody told me this. You know, we're all trying to, everybody wants to lose weight. Everybody joins the gym. It's interesting. If you join the gym, it can actually make you fatter. It's a famous story about this. It's like, well, I'm in the gym now. You give yourself points for being in the gym. If you actually do work out, you might be less inclined to walk. You know, you're going to take it easy the rest of the time you're not working out. And if you work out, if you actually do it, you're going to feel entitled to eat more food. And your body is actually going to want more food. It's a mixed bag. But anyway, all that stuff, we, all that time we spend worrying about our bodies and how about worrying about our souls, our very souls, all the silly, stupid things we do. I'm this close to deleting Instagram off my phone, which is an amazing site. It just knows exactly what I like from lions uh, running around in the jungle to beautiful watches to beautiful lots of things. And it just... It knows and it feeds me a steady diet. Last night, two hours, gone for my life. What did I? What do I have to show for it? Nothing. It was impossible to put down the phone. So we got all this silly stuff. What did I spend on the Bible yesterday? Zero minutes. Today, yes, 10 minutes. 
these devices, they're taking us further and further away from our relationship and from God, and I, we have to fight it. We have to be mindful of it. I'm going to go into semi-seclusion this weekend. It's, I'm going to treat it almost like a retreat. I have to develop some new systems to take care of myself because I don't like succumbing to all this crap. You know who did some serious damage to the world? I mean, let's face it, some real damage, the Kardashians. Now, those fools, I'm sorry. They can't sing, they can't dance, they can't act, they aren't particularly attractive, but somehow they're billionaires by taking stupid pictures of themselves. How is that? How, 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 you know, and you could say, well, good for them. Well, no. The problem is it's inspired, they've inspired billions of, what do they say, women and girls. You too can be a model. No, you can't. You're just a, you're just a 25-year-old girl with a phone. Okay, neither of those things is valuable. I mean, we're all we're each valuable, but how about developing some skills? Want to jut your ass out and make your tilt your head and suck in your cheeks and take that picture? Great. Two billion people can do the exact same thing, but there's an illusion that you can monetize it, and there's just enough people out there who have monetized it to inspire hopelessly so many others because there's no hope you're not gonna it's not gonna work it's not gonna work i'll be right back greg kelly on the red apple podcast network all right everybody uh Hey, Joe Biden, this is pretty funny. You know, uh, the Second Amendment is not absolute. The Second Amendment is not absolute. He thinks he's a historian. He thinks he's a wise man. He doesn't uh, He doesn't know much of anything. Here's, uh, where is he? Where is Joe Biden expounding on uh, what you can do and can't do under the Second Amendment? Listen to this. Cut 39, please. Cut 39. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a, you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. Wrong. <laughs> it's totally wrong. You could buy a cannon uh, when the Second Amendment was passed. And you can still buy a cannon in most states in the country. A cannon, oh, by the way, I know somebody who owns a cannon. I'm going to say his name. His name is Carl Higby. He works at Newsmax. Great guy. And he uh, was a Navy SEAL. And guess what? He owns two cannons and he keeps them in his backyard. Uh, a cannon is not technically considered a firearm. Uh, you can acquire a cannon without a background check. And uh, why the hell not? I, if you want a cannon and you can fire it safely, uh, stay the hell out of it, Joe Biden. Stick to what you know, which is what do you know, by the way? All right, let's go with Jack in Brooklyn. Hi, Jack. Oh, great. Um, basically like this. There's only two ways that any 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 person would kill someone. Either if they're mentally unstable, which these days the Democrats make that into a whole cool thing, so people want to be that way, or if you dehumanize someone to the point where it doesn't hurt to kill them because you don't have a conscience anymore. Now with the left, well, what if you're really mad and you get jealous? I mean, that happens. Crimes of passion. There are all kinds of reasons to kill somebody. Greed. Uh, you know, I mean, just there's a million motives. I don't know if I would just go with those two categories there, but keep going with your uh, with your idea. Um, all right, I think I stumped him. Uh, Jane is in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Hello. Hi, Greg. 
I just wanted to say, I, I was in teaching for 30 years, and I worked with a lot of at-risk kids. And the problems that you have in schools, most public schools, is you have the principal, you have the guidance counselor, you have the teacher, you have the school psychologist, and then you have the parents. And anytime you recognized an issue with the child, the parents would be there. They didn't want their child labeled with oppositional defiance or clinical depression, so they fought and fought not to have that done. And anytime resources were offered, they declined them, and the school itself was very hesitant to send the kids to an alternative school where they could get help because every student that walked out of that building took anywhere from eight to $10,000 with them. And the last school district I was in, the superintendent actually got a bonus at the end of the year for every child that stayed in that school district. So until we start to change that mentality, and parents were so afraid to have their kids labeled, they thought they wouldn't get into college or they wouldn't get married, they would never have children. These ch children are kept there, they're, they're struggling, they have issues, and they're never addressed. So until the adults start thinking more clearly. All right, hold on. Where was this school? I mean, it sounds pretty hardcore. Where was this school? Um, I'm not going to mention that. Well, roughly, geographically. I mean, <laughs> North Jersey, South Jersey, uh, Canada. Um, where was Central it? Jersey. Roughly. Central, Central Jersey. And it was not just my school district. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I mean, look, parents, I mean, I like the first part of what you said, the parents being involved. I mean, that's good, right? Parents being involved. I remember parent-teacher conferences. I had some real nutbags for teachers, by the way. I mean, I had some terrible teachers. You sound like a great, responsible teacher, but they're not all great, as you know. Uh, you mentioned the, the guidance counselor, the principal, the school psychologist. I mean, it depends where you are, but a lot of those folks turn out to be bozos, like any other profession, right? Well, exactly, exactly, because when you go to them and you say, this child is struggling, uh, they're having issues, we need some type of an intervention, the parents come in and they don't want an IEP for their, for their child, they don't want them labeled with any type of, of psychological issue, so the child remains well, okay. I mean, but, but sometimes, sometimes the, the parents do know there's an issue, right? And they, they, the, the parents know. The parents know these things often, right? But they, but they, they know, resist. They but resist. The, the, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, yeah. what was your role? You would just teach. You taught special ed, and what do you do now? No, no. I, I taught. No, I'm retired. I've been retired for five years now. But I taught uh, English uh, slash language arts, and but then it, uh, I kind of segue into uh, dealing with students that basically the other teachers didn't want to have to deal with. Yeah. So well, listen. Every we always. Know. I was one of those. I was one of those kids for a little while. I, oh boy. I, uh, I mean, I wasn't really officially labeled so, but I was on the outs with some some teachers. Anyway. All right. Well, look. Um, thanks for calling, Jane. I, it's complicated. Very complicated. Although what happened yesterday was not complicated, or Tuesday, I should say. We needed those cops. All right, whatever whatever decisions were made over the past 18 years with this kid, the decisions that were made over those 40 minutes, 59 minutes, to not go in there, to not break out the gun, to not shoot down the door, to not creep up to the window, one well-aimed shot. You don't have to wait for the SWAT team. You don't. And actually... Policy, you're not supposed to. Thank you, Jane. Let me go to Jacqueline in Brooklyn. Yes, Jacqueline. Good 
afternoon, Greg. Um, mm-hmm. I want to thank you for setting AOC straight about that other individual that she said trans people don't do things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to uh, add one other thing. Mm-hmm. This uh, person that killed all of these children and the teachers, mm-hmm. he was not a white man. Technically, if you want to get technical about it, he was Hispanic. So he was not of the white race. So she needs a little bit of education. Uh, she does. I mean, I don't like, uh, quite frankly, I don't like singling out anybody over things they can't control. White, black, red, brown, Hispanic. But I mean, we, uh, you heard it. You heard the venom that they have when they talk about white people. It's very, very strange. And uh, everyone else is, uh, is a victim. It's so silly. It's so foolish. It's such a warped conversation this country is having to avoid having a serious conversation. Hey, by the way, it's Fleet Week. What does that mean? It seems like it's not much of a deal anymore. I see a couple of sailors walking by outside, um, but it's not that big a thing anymore. How many ships do we have here? We used to bring big aircraft carriers, and uh, I don't see that anymore. Little ships, and then they, they get off the ship and they walk around. Oh, the cool thing is they open the ship. If you've never been on one, it's a good opportunity to walk around and see what it's like to be on a ship. Um Quite frankly, in half hour is probably all you need. <laughs> you don't want to be on a ship for six months like I was. Actually, it had its moments, and I'm very grateful for my uh, military service. I'm grateful to the country. I really am. Uh, let's just see if there's one other thing I wanted to play for you. By Oh, yeah, the George Floyd stuff. Two years ago, two years ago, right now, the country was erupting in those protests because of the overreaction to George Floyd's death. And last night on the Newsmax show, I pointed out some myths about George Floyd that are continued. Uh, they're continuing. The legend continues. George Floyd, St. George Floyd. And those cops were all devils, right? They were just hard, the, the, the worst of the worst. That's, uh, the reality is a bit more complex and nuanced. Number one, those cops were trying to help George Floyd at one point. When they put him in the back of the patrol car... He had a panic attack and begged to be let out, and they did. They did to help him. Here he is. You're about to hear him, body camera. This is George Floyd before he was on the ground in the back seat of the police car, freaking out. Cut 37. You hear that? I want to lay on the ground. I want to lay on the ground. I want to lay on the ground. Well, they tried to help him, and they put him on the ground. Now, I didn't write this handbook, but the Minneapolis Police Department handbook says you can put the knee on the neck in an effort to detain uh, or restrain a, a, a person, an individual you are attempting to arrest. I believe that's why Derek Chauvin looked so nonchalant. But even the defense, I think they were timid. They waged a very timid defense because, well... 2020, 2021, even now, it's mob rule in America. Uh, Nobody seemed to want to point out. I I think it would have been helpful, as the country was blowing up that summer, that he had enough fentanyl in his system to kill him. Uh, Let's see. That the coroner found no evidence of asphyxia. That's kind of important, right? They thought he died of 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 a heart condition and all the drugs that were in his system. But his neck wasn't broken. He wasn't strangled to death. That's what the autopsy said, the initial autopsy. And then what happened? Politics got involved. And some off-duty coroner from another city sends the coroner in Minneapolis a threatening letter saying, you better find neck compression or else. 
And guess what? <laughs> they found neck compression in the second autopsy. Very fishy, very weird. Um, but that's the way that's the way America rolls. There's a narrative, and you better be on the right side of that narrative, or the mob will come for you. That's why I feel, quite frankly, so blessedly liberated. It's just a wonderful place to be. And if you can get to a place where the criticism doesn't bother you and it shouldn't, hey, look at Trump. Look at the stuff they say about him, especially when he was on Twitter. All day long, I'm like, how does he stand it? Well, that's the – look, no matter what you're saying, what did Socrates say? I always have a hard time with this quote. The only way to avoid criticism is to be nothing. No, is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. Right? That's the only way. Say nothing, do nothing, and therefore be nothing, and you'll never be criticized. Who the hell wants to sign up for that? Hey, the Sussman trial is in deliberations right now. Who's who's Sussman? Michael Sussman. The lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign who was pushing the Russia hoax stuff knew it was phony baloney stuff, gave it to the FBI anyway, pretended that he was working for himself, not for Hillary Clinton, although the FBI probably knew better. And they said, come by, please tell us your story. Oh, wow, we're going to hunt all this stuff down. It's not the biggest name in the world, Michael Sussman, who's that? But if it were a Trump associate, he'd be the biggest name in the world and everybody would be talking about it. Hey, I'm really excited about uh, Dr. Oz. Looks like he's going to the United States Senate. He's a good man, great man, actually, a physician. And Dr. Oz is 932 votes ahead, and it goes to a recount. We're going to be watching very carefully, very carefully. We don't want anybody screwing around with that vote. Max in the Bronx. Hi, Max. Hey, Greg. Um, George Floyd was a bum, and I'm African-American. He was a bum. The world's better off without him. You can't defend what those cops did to him, and that's not why I called. I wait, called wait, I just, you said, wait, I just want to make sure I got everything you said. You said he was a bum. I'm not going to argue with that. And what else did you say? The world's a better, the world's a better place without him, without guys like him. Well, I don't know if I'm going to sign up for that. Uh, I, he was no model citizen. He was a criminal, and he was uh, unfairly, uh, undeservedly glorified. But I'll leave it at that. All right, keep going. What else you got on your mind? Yeah. For the past two decades, I've been listening to politicians like AOC, even before her, uh, blame white men for everything, everything wrong with the world. How come the mo- mothers and wives of these white men, I, I've never heard one call to defend you guys, not one. In all these years, nobody calls to defend you guys, and they still vote for people like AOC and Hillary Clinton and all these liberals. Why is that? Oh, no, I think, I think you're, 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 this is very anecdotal. This is your impression. But, you know, white men, they have, um, they have mothers, they have daughters, they have sisters, they have wives. And I know that they've been uh, sticking up for us. I happen to be a white man. I don't, but uh, I also know that there's been a concerted effort to reduce their voice, the voice of white women, this whole Karen thing, the cancel culture thing. You know, I mean, it's uh, they, that was really targeted, a strategic effort to get them to shut up and join the mob. I don't like that. Max, tell me more. Tell me more. Democrat. It seems most still vote Democrat. That's how they win these elections. Well, it is part of their strategy, and there's a hell of a lot of white guilt out there, which I don't understand. 
A lot of virtue signaling. You know who's uh, really down on white men more than anybody else? White men. I can't stand it when I hear it, these liberals. I'm just a white man. I'll shut up and sit down right now and listen to other voices. You know who likes to say that? Uh, This guy, Matthew Dowd, who helped Arnold Schwarzenegger. You hear it all the time on MSNBC. White men putting themselves down and like, look at me, aren't I? Look at it's, It's called a virtue signal. I actually did it once myself, Max. A million years ago, it seems like. I felt like such a big man. Oh, I... Uh, we were having a conversation on Good Day New York, and it w- the issue of race came up, and it was three of us. It was Jody Applegate, me, and I think Curtis Sliwa. And I said, very self-righteously, I just think we should point out that we're three white people talking about this. And I'm telling you, it was a power play on my part. And I, so I, I know what virtue signaling is. I've done it, and I reject it. I was, quite frankly, a different person politically. Max, anything else? What do you do up there in the Bronx? Can I tell you one quick thing? I want to know what you do in the Bronx first, please. Oh, I'm, I work for the MTA. All right. Keep going. Yeah. Um, I, got a, I got a cold call from uh, someone in the DNC, and they started telling me about the um, Republicans, how Republicans are bad. And I'm Republican, obviously. And I said, are you not worried about crime? Because I'm, I'm, I'm on the uh, buses and trains. And she said, I'm not worried about crime at all. I'm worried about not having health insurance. Like I, I'd quicker die from not having health insurance than someone mugging me and killing me on a subway or, or street. But crime wasn't a big problem for her. Hmm. And I hung up on her. Unbelievable. I'm surprised you talked to them. Somebody calls me and they're from a political party. We don't get into any kind of conversation. I'm done. Happened to me this morning, by the way. Uh, It's interesting. You know, you ask a typical white liberal, what's more important to you uh, fighting, white supremacy or crime? They'll say white supremacy. All right. Well, where is the white supremacy? I mean, really, where is it? Practically speaking, where is it? All right. It's not a thing. Crime surrounds us. Max, I appreciate it. I got to take a quick break. Happy uh, Memorial Day, everybody. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Barack Obama annoying uh, everybody with his uh, virtue signaling, with his reminding everybody that he was president, not of uh, not of all people, but primarily of people of color. That's who we seem to be most interested in and appealing to. And uh, he when he was charming us back in 2008, he seemed like the guy who could talk about race in a pretty blunt way that a lot of folks felt inhibited about talking but he did you know talked about absentee fathers in the black community and it was like wow okay this is uh this is something this is different and then he got bit by the left and they said shut up jesse jackson said i'm going to cut his nuts off if he keeps talking like that so barack obama stopped talking like that and then he talked about white supremacy and what racist cops and you know trayvon martin would have looked like me and all that all that stuff that you know again Got him far with the left, made him a superstar with the woke community, got him a billion dollars from Netflix, but it didn't help a damn person. Nobody, actually. Nobody but but himself. Very, very selfish guy. He put out a tweet yesterday, you know, hey, uh, I know the kids died, but we really should be talking about George Floyd right now. Really? Hey, Tim is in Manhattan. Yes, Tim. Hey, Greg. Hey, Greg, uh, I just want to make two quick points. Well, you just said that Obama thing. That is disgusting. In the same sentence, he said that about George Floyd. But you were saying how uh, 
Instagram is showing you all these watches and the girls and stuff, and they, yeah. they make Instagram so addictive. Why can't they make the algorithm show show the police these freaks who are posting guns and cutting themselves and making threats online? Like these red flags are huge. Why aren't they? Why aren't they getting like talked to after posting things like this? It's a great question. I mean, look, they're hassling me, a conservative. I post something negative about Bill de Blasio. I got fact-checked. They censored it. They gave me a warning. I'm like, are you crazy? I'm just making fun of Bill de Blasio. And, oh, by the way, I'm not wrong. Get your facts straight, Instagram. So uh, my wife was talking about this. There are keywords that some of these people use. They're more concerned about me talking about the election of 2020 than they are about finding the uh, the next school shooter. And I'm not saying you go arrest somebody for using certain words, but we do have watch lists. We do have things that it's 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 totally, you know, anybody can scrutinize this. I think big tech should. Big tech should. You want to be careful, though. Ever see the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise? Nobody remembers this movie, but they had the whole pre-crime bureau and they would grab people they could tell the future, and they would arrest you before you committed the crime that you were thinking about committing. Kind of creepy, but fascinating. Great movie. Uh, what was? Did you make? Did you make both of your points yet? No. The second one was that I heard Israel has a gun in every single school because about like twenty years ago, people were blowing up the schools, and they quickly found that the best way to protect that was to have armed people in the schools. And now there's no more sh- bombing. Israel. Well, Israel knows what it's doing when it comes to security. If that's true, uh, wow, I'd like to know more about it. Let me make a note of this. i got to find out about that. And a, uh, a weapon in the school, at least one armed person, uh, that sounds common sense to me. You know, when something like this happens, and we saw what happened with law enforcement, it looks like they let people down in a big way on Tuesday. Sorry, but it's true. It, it makes people motivated to get their own guns. It really does. All right, wait. I want to take one more, and then I got to uh, – there is Norman and – no, sorry, Michael in Rockaway Beach. Yes, Michael, hello. How you doing? Um, I just wanted to make a comment about something earlier that you mentioned about the way the police didn't react in that situation at the school. Uh, Years ago, I was in the auxiliary emergency service in the Bronx, and we were called on a job in the Fordham Road section, which had a very, very high crime rate. And it was a request for oxygen. When we got to the stairwell, the guy was on the floor. It turned out that it was a stabbing. The hallway was full of women and children. Just as we were about to treat the guy, give him oxygen, and we saw a huge wound in his lung, a woman comes running out of one of the one of the uh, apartments with a meat knife in her hand, I immediately jumped up, grabbed her arm, and immediately disarmed her. So we took action. We had to get her on the floor. We pinned her down, and we handcuffed her. We were auxiliary police. We weren't armed. But the moral of the story is you've got to be prepared to act quickly. You can't wait. It could have been a disaster with all those children and women in the hallway. Yeah. I mean, well, let's face it. You, you know, instincts took over i mean you know you're not gonna as, as a woman's coming after you with a meat cleaver you're not gonna what the hell would you wait for i mean after me, greg she can't they, the apartment was right to my left side the door swung open and she was there i know it wasn't like i was prepared i jumped up fast exactly i mean you had no you know instincts right instincts well we're trained we well trained you're trained i mean also your body is trained also you know by like by god to defend itself I was also in my early 20s, so I was a lot more agile than I hey, am Hey, listen, I don't care if you're 20 or 60. A woman with a meat cleaver approaching you, you're going to move. 
But anyway, hey, thanks for your service. Auxiliary cop, real quick. Auxiliary cop with the emergency services? Is that what you said? Yes. yes. They had auxiliary with the emergency services? Yes, we had our own rescue truck. That's pretty uh, That's pretty intense, uh, auxiliary cops. it's uh, They incur a hell of a lot of risk. We lost two of them, you know, a couple of years ago, gunned down. All right, thanks, Michael. I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Friday before Memorial Day weekend. That's it. It's Friday afternoon. Most people, if they can, are blowing today off. And even if they are working, it doesn't look like they're working too hard to me. I'm not naming names, but no. I mean, I mean, that's the thing about broadcasting, actually. You still got to, you know, when you're there, you got you to gotta, you gotta do it. You can't fake it. Um, ooh, this is um, a big acknowledgement from the authorities in Texas. Yes, they screwed this thing up big time. Now, yesterday's disastrous press conference. I mean, disastrous. Now, wait. Hold on. You want to hear how disastrous it was? I mean, you can just tell the guy is making it up as he goes along, like does not know what the hell is going on. Here he is uh, saying, do we have the clip there where he's just talking about information and information and information? Mm, Try this. Cut three. Oh, wait, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I want to go with. um, Here's. This is double talk, right? This is a Department of Public Safety in Texas. And listen to the way he was talking. And I just knew this guy's trying to BS us. Something's up. He's hiding. He's hiding something. Cut 24. So there's a lot of information, a lot of moving parts. We have a lot of people involved in this investigation. A lot of information. Then we have to do a lot of interviews. So we just started. We started on Tuesday. Today's Thursday. We're still grabbing a lot of information. We won't stop until we get all the answers that we possibly can. There's a lot of information I'm going to give you. There's some new information as of Tuesday that I wanted to clear up once the information is is, is, is obtained and we're able to confirm and cooperate that. We want to make sure we're pushing out the right information. Early on, when we came in, we were receiving a lot of information from a lot of different locations. I want to share some of that. It's a small piece of information right now, but it'll grow within days. Okay, uh, there's a lot of information out there. Well, it's been two days, pal. Start giving up some information. And he didn't do that. He was trying to confuse people, hope the whole thing would just blow over. Well, it hasn't, and it's not going to. Two days later, you know, I remember very vividly, actually, it was in... 2012, 10 years ago, gosh, can I believe, 10 years ago, there was a shooting at the Empire State Building. Guy who worked there got very upset at his uh, co-workers, and he started blasting, and then he came out and uh, had a gun, and cops blasted him. But I think some innocent bystanders were wounded, and guess what? They were wounded by cops. And um, Ray Kelly, the police commissioner, and Mike Bloomberg, 
the mayor came forward about three hours afterwards and put out all the information they had, including the fact that it looked like there had been friendly fire. They didn't hold back. They didn't lie. They didn't uh, play games. And that's what you do if you're a professional in law enforcement. Oh, by the way, you don't screw up like they did in Texas. Sorry. Now, they finally have a guy there. Oh, wait, did you see the video yet of the parents freaking out? Understandably so. And they show up and the cops are just standing around and they're begging and they're screaming, please go in there. It's tough to watch, tough to listen to as well. But here it is. Cut 22. Their children are dying inside the school. And the cops are standing there. And then you hear you hear the explanation. Cut 23. Listen to this. They're working. They're working. Uh, no, they weren't. They were standing around. They were standing around. So you saw it. I saw it. And then this guy tries to say that he didn't know anything about that. Now, I saw it. Here I am on Third Avenue in New York City. I knew about this for two days. And this guy... He's wearing a uniform, standing outside the school, and he says he doesn't know what we just heard. Cut 29. I have heard that information, but we have not verified that yet. So, What, what, what part haven't you verified? We have not verified. Is that, is that a true statement or not? Or is it just rumor out there? So you got to understand, we're getting a lot of information we're trying to track <laughs> down and see what is true. We want to vet it. That's all I have. We understand. Yeah. Um, so some folks out there are like, wow, you're giving law enforcement a hard time. Well, we got to. We got to. And in any profession you can think of, no one's beyond or above criticism. All right. And anyone can screw up. This is a catastrophic screw up about as bad as one can imagine. But we have to address it because you know what? This has happened before and people have tiptoed around the issue. And now here we are. I remember this happened at the Pulse nightclub shooting. There were serious questions raised about the police response there. Why didn't they go in? Remember Pulse Nightclub, the gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida? A lot of people. How many people were shot and killed in the Pulse Nightclub? Can you find that out for me, please? Um, a lot. And the cops showed up. There was a guy inside blasting. And the cops did not go in for a long time. And they had to bring in a special bulldozer. To knock down a wall. How long did it take to get the specialized police bulldozer? It's not like you got one on every corner. You got to get it from the depot, which is like 10 miles away, and it's got to be all that nonsense. It takes a guy with a gun. You know what it takes, quite frankly? Oh, my God. Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. I'm thinking about the first movie. Remember that? When the, the hijacked all the kids? Did he wait for the SWAT team to arrive? No, he jumped on the bus. One guy with a gun was able to save the day and save those kids.
Yeah, I know it's a movie, but still. I think that's... Uh, you know, by the way, Pulse Nightclub, yeah, there was media concern. It was raised, but not enough. Here's a sample. Cut. Th- this is about all I could find, actually. There are some people in here generally I don't like, but they were good. They raised the question. I was doing the same thing at the time. Cut 31, please. There are questions about the police response and the timing of their assault. The terrorists spent three hours inside Pulse nightclub before police assaulted the building and put an end to the savagery. Three hours. Would more lives have been saved if the police went in sooner? Somebody said, and, and it was only three hours later, and I said, yeah, wh- what? <laughs> three hours later? That That is inconceivable. It's wrong. Yeah, but it happened, and it's happened again, and it happened at Parkland. Parkland, the shooting there? Oh, yeah, it did. Parkland. Cut 32. How many cops showed up and how long they waited outside while students and teachers were dead and dying inside? It took officers 11 minutes to enter the building. Uh, There was a lot of confusion about the direction that the shots were coming from. When a Sunrise police officer arrived at the scene of the Parkland shooting, he encountered several Broward Sheriff deputies already there. One told him, hey, be careful. The guy's got a rifle. And another said, don't go in. Wow. And here we are again. You know, because the media conversation is so silly and warped, and there are too few people who are, I guess, equipped to raise questions. And you know what? Sometimes people don't want to hear them. They're important. Now, where are we today? So they got a new spokesman out there who's acknowledging some mistakes. We got this all queued up. Okay, this is Steve McGraw from the Texas Department of Safety. Go ahead. Cut one. There are 58 total magazines at the school. Related to the crime scene, 11 of those magazines were inside the school. Three were on the suspect's body. Two in room 112, six inside room 111. Five were on the ground, one was in the rifle. There were 32 magazines outside the school, but on school property. One just outside the school building and 31 in the suspect's backpack that he did not take into the classrooms with him. All right, well, that, okay, there's a lot of detail there, but... Someone is asking the question, how did this 18-year-old kid get two um, AR-15s that are worth about $5,000? And apparently he was driving a $75,000 pickup truck. Yet he had a job at what, Wendy's or McDonald's? Uh, no, Wendy's or Burger King, one or the other. What's he doing with all this uh, very expensive gear? Hmm? I'd like to know more about that. What else did this guy say, McGraw, please? hope it's something a bit more, uh, well, go ahead. The question simply is this, there's a 40-minute gap, and if the 911 operators were aware that, that children were alive in that classroom, why weren't officers notified of that? And if that's the case, why didn't they take action? That's the question. And again, the, I'll go back to the answer for right now, is that, that it was considered, okay, the decision was made on the scene. I wasn't there, but at the same point in time, you know, a decision was made that this was a barricaded subject situation there was time to retrieve the keys and wait for a tactical team with the equipment to, to go ahead and breach the door and take on the subject at that point that was the decision that was the thought process that particular point in time okay uh somebody else made a bad decision that's what i heard there can i hear a little bit more please and for the benefit of hindsight where i'm sitting now of course it was not the right decision it was a wrong decision very there's no no excuse for that. In benefit of hindsight, 
the benefit of hindsight, I'm sorry, but there are things you need to know in the moment. <laughs> there are things you need to know in the moment. We got a, a gunman in a school. He needs to be killed immediately. We got a guy shooting in a school. And every law enforcement doctrine says that. It's not the benefit of hindsight. It's the benefit of foresight. You know that going into it. I don't like this guy any more than I did like the guy the, yesterday. What else did he say? From what we know, we believe there should have been an entry at that as soon as you can. Hey, when there's an active shooter, the, the rules change. It's no longer, okay, it's no longer barricaded stuff. And we don't have time. You don't worry about outer perimeters. And by the way, Texas embraces active shooter training, active shooter certification. And that, that, doc, that doctrine requires officers. We don't care what agency you're from. You don't have to have a leader on the scene. Every officer lines up, stacks up, goes and finds where those rounds are being fired at and keeps shooting until the subject is dead, period. All right, that's getting a little bit better, but I, I, I still sense a certain... It's a certain, I don't know, It's a, it, we, 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 you weren't there kind of feeling. What else? Where was the resource officer? Why was he not on campus? He was not on campus. Why? Well, well, again, again, we'll, 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 we'll have all those answers down the road. Okay. I can see maybe he stepped out for lunch or something like that. Never going to step out for lunch again. We can never leave kids in a school. Uh, totally vulnerable like this. You need an armed. You need armed security in every single school. I think that's what this will finally bring about: armed security in every single school, everywhere. More. Border Patrol uh, agents, the BORTAC agents, they were in the building. Did line up. They're part of the 19 that I talked about, and, and uh, the entry team. Ultimately, the entry team that went in. But I can tell you that they were told, just as like as any other officer was told. And others, even command staff that came on board, is that that the the incident commander at the time was believed that the you know that that in fact it was a barricaded subject that we had time. There was no kids at risk. How did they come to that conclusion when the guy's running around a school? There are no kids in that classroom. How? Maybe they didn't hear any because they were all dead. I mean, seriously, what what? All right, this is uh, obviously depressing. I do have to get through. Uh, there, One more. Go ahead. Each door can lock from the inside. And we're, both doors were locked, okay, from the inside. So the subject, when he went in, he locked the door. He came out one time into the hallway, went back in and locked the door because at the time that the officers went in, both doors were locked. They got a key from the janitor and used it. A key from the janitor. Now, I've seen it in the movies. But what about taking the gun and shooting the door open, right? The lock. Get back, everybody. I'm going to. Does that work? In moments, we'll be joined by one of the greatest law enforcement experts and uh, servants in the history of the country. My dad, Ray Kelly. When we come back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. He's here. Ray Kelly, most famous police commissioner in the history of police commissioners. My father joins us on the phone. Hello, sir. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Always good to be with you. So listen, um, I don't know if you heard what the officials said there in Texas, but they're acknowledging that uh, it was wrong not to breach the door right away. 
at least they're acknowledging some mistakes, but they're saying, oh, in hindsight, you know, it was a mistake. I don't know. This sounds really, really bad to me. What is your what is your take of the police response right now to this school shooting? Well, we had the Columbine shooting in 1999. I think it was 12 students killed, and it was studied in depth. And one of the big takeaways from that uh, event is that the police has to go in as quickly as possible. Uh, They can't delay. In that case, they waited over an hour for a SWAT team to show up, but not dissimilar to what happened uh, here in, in Texas. So, uh, yeah, they, they made a mistake. Uh, it's a tough call to make, no, no question about it. But you have to go in and try to save lives, as many lives as, as you can. And, of course, that puts officers' lives at risk. No, there's no question about that. But that's sort of what you sign up for. Right. And, uh, it's got to be, uh, you know, these decisions, as I say, they're tough, but they've got to be made. So let me ask you something, um, you know, because it seems like have we over bureaucratized some of these police departments? I mean, even this small police department, I mean, they had pretty sophisticated gear. And, um, you know, the idea that a small police department has all this hardware that they made it almost complicated. They're getting in their own way. And when you have all that gear, I guess you have to have some protocols and I, I just maybe they just should have followed their instincts a little bit more. I mean, when you acquire a bunch of stuff, which they now have these police departments, you got to have rules and procedures. Are there too many rules and procedures? Have we taken the human element out of policing? Well, that's a very broad question. I think in some instances, probably yes. Other instances, no. You know, you're talking about using deadly force. And you're talking about, and that means potentially killing people. And this is in a situation where bullets are coming at you or potentially are coming at you. So I I don't know so much about about the over-regularizing it, you might might say. But uh, I... I... Uh Uh-oh. What happened? Hello? Is he there anymore? Oh, something happened with the connection. All right, do me a favor. Did you hear that little jingle? I heard a little tune. I don't know what that was all about. Um, hey, some people are really upset about uh, the questioning of law enforcement. I'm sorry. This is this is what happens. This is what has to happen. You can't just uh, let emotions take over and, oh, you know, how dare you ask these questions. No, it's, uh, it's very important. And you just heard from one of the greatest cops of all time said that uh, mistakes were made and you, this is what you sign up for. Risk comes with the territory. And, you know, I just I'm I'm, I'm still at a total loss that. Uh, oh, there he is. He's back. I don't know what happened there. We heard a little jingle. Hey, uh, you there, sir? Ray Kelly. Yes. Yep. Did you ever have a situation like that? You ever have an active an active shooter in a building with, uh, you know, in a complex situation like a school or a supermarket or something like that? Well, in New York City, through the years, there's plenty of situations Similar to that, not not exactly on, on point, but you know, one of the things that you were, you were trying to say that they they had too much equipment or whatever, I didn't see any indication that they used any specialized equipment. I'm talking about the local police department, and don't forget the border patrol 
is a federal agency. It's not a local agency, not a state agency, and they're the ones that they were that they were waiting for. So, in this word now, I understand that the state uh, the state Department of Public Safety was there, wanted to go in, and were uh, told by the local police not to go in. Uh, we're going to have to straighten straighten that out. But as a general rule, yes, you got to do some sort of assessment. You just don't run, you know, willy-nilly through the door. But you've got to go in as expeditiously as possible, and that wasn't done here. Is it and is it the kind of thing you got all these entities? Is it like you got all these entities? You got you mentioned they got the federal, you got the uh, the state Department of Public Safety, you got the local police. As they converge in some areas, I mean, is it just? likely that there's going to be disagreement about how to proceed? Uh, maybe. This is one of the things that they supposedly practice. We know that they had a major drill in uh, the year 2000. Now, that should have been one of the things that we looked at because there is coordination problems. Even if there is coordination on paper, there's coordination issues on the ground. And, uh, you know, we saw that, if you remember, the marathon bombers in uh, in Massachusetts, uh, all sorts of police agencies showed up when those individuals were trapped, when they were in the, in the boat. Right. They came, they fired shots, and then they left. So coordination is always going to be uh, an issue. Whether or not it existed there, you know, it, we simply don't know. All right, listen, there's the music that you selected, by the way. I got two more questions for you. Do you mind? Especially about the city bikes. Can you stick around? Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, we're back with Ray Kelly. We were just talking about the situation in Texas, and I always wanted to get your take. Well, actually, I have some inkling how you feel about the bikes that seem to be overtaking New York City. Um, I've had three near misses with a bike in the past two months, I'd say. I mean, pretty damn close. Uh, How do you, from a public safety standpoint, it seems like we just embrace this bike thing without any real conversation or debate, and now they're everywhere, and they're totally uncontrollable. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, I had more near misses than you have. The last three months, uh, we live downtown, particularly at night. It's uh, very dark there, and I can't believe, for instance, that so many of them do not have lights. All you see is a shadow coming upon you, particularly when you're crossing the street. And uh, I know many people have been uh, have been injured, and certainly some seriously. A woman was killed, if you uh, recall, not not too long ago. So they have to be regulated. Either either now or later, something's got to give here. Now, uh, you know, the question is, should the police be doing this type of enforcement? Uh, they've got other things to do. They're down in in headcount because of the mass evacuation that happened, uh, just, uh, you know, a couple of years ago after the George Floyd uh, death. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel endangered uh, myself on the street. And uh, I don't know if it's a licensing or at least just giving uh, summonses out. I'll tell you one of the practical problems, though, that so many of these people on bikes, particularly men who are making deliveries, they don't carry identification. 
So if you're going to give them a summons, uh, you've got to bring them into the station house. You've got to try to identify them or have someone come down to the station house with identification. It can be an all-day uh, event for the for the police officer. Yeah. So you have to make some judgment as to how to use your resources. Well, but I, I agree. I think they're totally, uh, totally out of control. I have an idea. And as uh, you mentioned, the delivery boys, uh, they're crazy enough. But you know who <laughs> they're no angels are the yuppies. I call them yuppies. You know, the the men and women on the bikes who are going to their white collar jobs and they're riding the city bikes. And there's one particular street I cross. And, you know, I wait for the I wait for the red light, I, I, the green light. I have to. I have to. Sometimes I have a baby carriage. And they go right through the red light. And they're, 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 these are, you know, they're, these are like finance types. They're wearing their ties. And I'm like, hey, buddy, that's a red light. Aren't they supposed to stop? First of all, they're supposed to stop at the red light, aren't they, bikes? Yes, absolutely. They, you know, I, I was in uh, London a couple of years ago, and I was shocked. A big uh, a group of uh, bicycle riders had all stopped at the red light. They they all stopped uh, when there's a, a flashing signal or uh, a red light or stop sign in the UK in London. It's, it's such a it's such a refreshing sign of civility. <laughs> but uh, that's not that's not where we're at. And it's going to take a major effort to turn that around. And well, by the way, they've got a very uh, active advocacy group, uh, a few of them. Oh, they're maniacs. And, I know. They're of, they, they're always getting of, on my case. Yeah, a, a lot of clout in City Hall. And that's not just uh, this administration, but previous administrations. Well, well, I have an idea. You know, the City Bike program, the City Bike, you can rent them. You could turn that thing off overnight. You could, you could, you could penalize. That program could be canceled overnight. I mean, technologically, it could be. We could lock up those bike racks. And we're getting to that point. It's crazy. I want to, and you can't ride these bikes in the in the freezing cold anyway. Way too many resources. Well, I can't tell you how many people uh, talk to me every day, Ray Kelly, and say they wish you were the mayor right now. Uh, <laughs> it happens all the time. Well, thank you, Greg. It's a it's a tough job. Uh, no question about it. I saw it up close. And uh, I think it's uh, even much harder than it looks. Uh, so uh, I'm happy <laughs> with what I'm doing now. But New York uh, is in trouble. There's lots of things that are that are not going well for the city. And uh, unfortunately, I'm at least in the short term pessimistic as to where the city's going. You know, bike homelessness. Uh, crime, uh, all these stores that are that are closed and probably will never reopen. Uh, you know the lack of people back in the offices in in the city. All of these things are omens of of uh, I think a, a very bleak future for the city. At least at least in the short term. Oh. I certainly hope it's around. Oh boy! All right. Well. On a brighter note, I intend to see Top Gun with you this weekend uh, with Tom Cruise. We, You and I saw the original back in 1986, and the new one is out, and I know you're a big aviation buff like I am, and I look forward to seeing it. Don't see it without me, okay? Okay, the deal. All right, thank you very much. My dad, Ray Kelly. Uh, oh, we have this. Barack Obama. And, oh, I should have talked. Hey, Dad, are you still there? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Oh, 
I got this thing from Barack Obama. Now, listen, I, I don't want you to get involved. I know you like to steer clear of this, but Obama dropped by the, the New York City Police Department, right? And you saw him. This was early in his term, in his tenure. What was he like when you saw him? He visited 1PP. Was he supportive? Uh, of course. I mean, uh, you know, people are supportive when they come to police headquarters. They really have no choice. Huh. It, a, it was actually a uh, day. What a lot of uh, government officials do, certainly ones that are running running for office, is they'll link a political event with a government uh, event so that it can be uh, paid for with government funds oh. instead of out of the out of the, the political kitty. So if you look at Barack Obama's visit to New York City, almost all of them were linked to a fundraising event and to a governmental uh, event. All right. And that was not just unique to him. A little trickery. A little trickery there. Well, all right. I know... Um... All right, I'm gonna we're gonna say goodbye for now because I got to do some uh, political bashing that may not uh, uh, suit your interests right now. But anyway, Ray Kelly, thank you very much. Okay, okay, right. Craig, bye. Thank you later. I hate to drag him into my political beefs, and I've got a lot of them. And uh, Obama just put out a silly video about well how different we are from each other. And well, you tell me. I thought America was supposed to be about you know being American. No, it's about being gay. It's about being Hispanic. It's about being this, that, and the other thing. Who cares? Well, he does. Anyway, a couple of years ago, he met some little kid in the White House. And the little kid was impressed that Barack Obama had a similar haircut to him. Okay, cute moment, but made such a big impact on on Barack. And he's still talking about it all these years later. And, and what a big deal it meant for everybody. Um, if you look like Barack, if uh, when he became president, go ahead, please. Remember telling Michelle and some of my staff, you know, I think that if I were to win the day I was sworn in to office, young people, particularly African-American people, people of color, outsiders, folks who maybe didn't always feel like they belonged, they'd look at themselves differently to see a person who looked like them in the Oval Office. It would speak to black kids and Latino kids, gay kids, young girls. How they could see the world open up for them. Okay, I heard black kids. I heard gay kids. I heard Latino kids. I heard... How about American kids? Because I tell you what, Barack Hussein Obama... Everybody has felt like an outsider at some point in their lives. Everybody. And silly me, I was, uh, I, was, I was proud when you were, I thought, wow, this guy's really sharp. Wow, he's going to be a great president. No, you, weren't in, you just weren't that into America, were you? You hear what he just said? Really, just... <laughs> and by the way, did I take any pride in 1977 when Jimmy Carter was elected? Oh, wow, he's got... Uh, Hair like me? No, he didn't. Did he teeth like me? No, he didn't. I was in second grade. I had nothing in common with that peanut farmer. Oh, we were both white. Yeah, that's not ha- that's not having something in common. If you happen to be white, how many times has the boss uh, looked out for you? Oh, uh, hello, fellow white man. It's almost like that that Eddie Murphy sketch. Remember when he uh, he puts on the makeup and he looks white, and everybody's like, "Gonna oh, yeah, you're white. Don't pay for this. What are you talking about?" <laughs> 
It's crazy stuff. Everybody felt like an outsider at some point. I felt I've had that. I still have that. You know, it's funny. There's an office that I have to go through, and it's big. It's a big office, and there are like six people who work there, but it's like a very big, spaced-out office, right? And I have to go in there every now and then. And you know what it reminds me of? First of all, I walk in, and everybody kind of looks at me, but nobody says hi or anything. And it reminds me, it takes me right back to high school, and I feel like I'm walking into the high school cafeteria, and uh, there was a time in my high school career where I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the big man on campus. And I had trouble, you know, finding people to sit with. It was, you know, and so I actually, after a while, I started going to the library. Everybody's had something like this at some point in their lives. Maybe it wasn't the library, you know, or maybe it wasn't high school. At some point, we all felt like outsiders. And how about that? The president of the United States just... Not seeing us as people, but seeing us, you know, not not what brings us together, but what separates us. How unpresidential can you get? How unpresidential can you get? That's the opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. The opposite. Well, we were conned. We were conned. Chris and Nanuet, hello. Are you there? Yes, you say him. Hi, how you doing, Greg? Listen, uh, I called yesterday actually before the first press conference, and I sort of had a feeling that something wasn't right, and I could not agree with a single thing that Beta O'Rourke has ever stood for. However, now after yesterday and today's press conference, looking back, and if you could take away the fact that it was Beta O'Rourke, he did call out those guys, all thirty-two guys standing up on that stage. Keep in mind, doing a press conference from a stage looking down at everybody else. Hey, Chris, 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 he wasn't talking about, Beto O'Rourke wasn't talking about the response. At that point, we didn't know. He was talking about gun control. He was talking about um, the NRA. He wasn't talking about the police response. He wasn't. So, you know, and remember, he's running for governor. And the guy up there, Greg Abbott, is governor. And I'm sorry, it's an auditorium. Where, where are they supposed to give the press conference? Are they supposed to sit in the seats? It makes sense that they would be on stage. I'm not going to fault them for that. Just to be clear, you can look at it again, and you and I share the same kind of view that this this was not right. The response was all screwed up. But you can look at what Beto O'Rourke said, and it was nothing about the police response. It was all about gun control and policy. All right, Chris? I mean, that's a to me, that's a big difference. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying, and I find it hard to even think you know, about verifying stuff that Beto Rourke did. However, the governor was up on the stage, so his presence alone makes it a political event. He was up there trying to tell you what a great governor no, he was. No, no, he did not he say no, it. he didn't say anything of what a great governor I am. I thought he spoke I thought he spoke very appropriately. You know, we do have that. I mean, can you imagine? All right, let's let's come here to New York. So two weeks ago we had Kathy Hochul uh at Buffalo and there were some press conferences, right? What if uh, Rob Astorino went up there and started heckling her, okay, during a press conference in the immediate aftermath of the shooting, or Lee Zeldin, or Andrew Giuliani, or Tom Swazi, right? That wouldn't be right. accepted. That would have been really, really bad, and it would have been political. And you know what it is? It's ambulance chasing. So I'd reevaluate. You listen to what uh, Beto O'Rourke did. By the way, he's desperate. He's going nowhere in the polls. So it was a desperate move on his part. 
And he wants, you know, this is a guy who's not concerned about the community, by the way. He's out for the glorification of himself. All right, let's go through it. He ran for the U.S. Senate and lost. He turns around and he runs for president and loses. And then he turns around, now he's running for governor, and he's going to lose. Is this, guy, is this a guy really about public service or about himself? You know, when you're in politics, you've got to spend most of your time raising money. So I don't think it's about public service with him. Chris, I appreciate the call, though. Uh, one more. we got Brian in uh, Yonkers. Brian. Yes, hi, sir. Um, um, I think um, uh, George Floyd was uh, responsible for some of this in this way. There was protests about George Floyd's death, which led to the defund the police. Maybe the Texas Police Department down there uh, was defunded and didn't have the proper battle rattle they would have needed to go in that they they waited for. Um, And the other thing is a a school shooting like this is essentially um, an ambush. And the only way to uh, counter an ambush to have any hope of surviving it is to rush it. I think you've learned that in the basic school. That's what should have been done. And I just think about the agony of those um, those parents who would have went in with battle rattle or not um, to save to save their children, even if it meant their life, their lives would be taken away. Hey, so it's yes, sir. Two great points. Two great points. I agree. I don't think technically they were defunded, but as I mentioned, you know, police have been struggling to survive, to not be canceled, and they haven't been able to focus on excellence. And that mentality certainly hasn't been helpful. Listen, I'm up against the clock. I got to run. I'll be right back. Thanks. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow. Mm. Somebody just gave me my favorite cookie in the world. I have two favorite cookies in the world. Rainbow cookies and black and white cookies. But not all rainbow cookies and not all black and white cookies are the same. They vary greatly. The moisture, the texture, it's got to be... This is pretty damn good. I like rainbow cookies so much that I once had a custom-made um, cake, rainbow cookie cake. And uh, and another guy for me, and i got to reach out for him again. He's a great guy in Brooklyn. Um, he runs Grandma's Bakery. He made for me once a black-and-white cake, like a black-and-white-themed, black-and-white cookie-themed cake, one of the best things I ever had. All right. In honor of Rush Limbaugh on Friday, we will end the show with uh, your calls. And we got, uh, let's see here. All right, let's go through it. Let's get everybody. Dennis in uh, Boundbrook. Yes, hi, Dennis. Yes. Hey, Greg. Greg, my comment on the, the mass shootings in this, they just had an article in the Post, and they said, Greg, over the last 15 years, in the major mass shootings, 150 people were killed. That's 10 people a year. We live in a country, got millions of people, they're drug addicts, millions of people, they're mentally ill. Millions of illegal guns. And to think we average 10, 15 people a year in mass shootings in a country of – I think it's a miracle. And the only reason it's sensationalized, it's the good old media. It's now, hold on a second. I'll look at this post story. But there are more mass shootings than 10 a year. Definitely. Absolutely. I think you're talking maybe school. I don't know what you're looking at. i got to take a look at that. A mass shooting technically is, I think, three or more people. And there were more than 10 of those last weekend in New York. So let's say, Greg, instead of 10, it's 20. Over that same course of time, we had like a million, over a million people die from drugs. I know. I know. Dennis, this is a major, it's still, look, the media, 
is not a positive force in America, definitely. But this is a problem when it happens. And I'm not going to say we have not had school shootings like this before 1990, really 95. This is a fairly new phenomenon, and I don't like it. I'm not going to sit back every time Social something terrible. What do you mean about so what, what? What does that mean? No, social media. Social media. What about they're, it? They're, they're, they're all angry young men, and where do angry young men go? They're all everybody's on social media. Their iPhones. They get bullied. They get. Uh, yeah, I understand. You know, well, real- let's. I, okay, now you're saying okay, it's a real thing, but you think it's exaggerated. I mean, I mean, it, you're. I don't know. I mean, you're mad at a bunch of different things, and so am I, by the way. So just sum it up for me. <laughs> yeah, sum it up. The fact of the matter is. That and, and when you put it into perspective, no, you know what? Shooting. I'm sorry, Dennis. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I'm not in the mood today, right now, to say, well, you know, three three hundred million people are out there, and only 19 kids got shot on on Tuesday, so it's not a big deal when you think about it. I, I'm just not in the. I'm, I, I understand the point you're trying to make, but I'm not. I'm not ready for that right now. Uh, but thanks for listening, Cheech in Long Island. Yes, Cheech. Hey, Greg. Good afternoon, buddy. How are you? Good. Uh, listen. Um, I have the utmost respect for your father and you as well, but I strongly have to disagree, and it's my opinion on something he said, which I don't believe he said that. But first, I'd like to say nobody's talking about accountability. You know, from what I heard about the conference, there was... Hey, Cheech, hey, Cheech, hey, Cheech, do me a favor. Lower your voice, first of all. And you, you started. So, what what do you disagree with that was said? What you mean? Uh, you, yeah. You're talking to the law enforcement, the one of the top law enforcement officials in the history of this country. But Cheech, you got to straighten them out about something. So, what is that? All right. Well, again, nobody said talking about accountability. Now he said. Well, my uh, wait, wait, wait. No accountability. I mean, that's not. It's not to exclude. The, my dad didn't say there shouldn't be accountability. He was responding to the questions I asked him. So, all right, and again, you started this with, uh, you know, he, he said something that you disagree with. Is it that he did not bring up accountability? Is that what you disagree with? No, 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 not at all, Greg. These two other guys that this killer was talking to, they knew about what he was going to do, no? Nobody's talking about that. All right, Cheech, thank you. I guess I, I, I don't know what you're uh, – Shane is in New Jersey. What's up? Hey, Greg. Um, it's an honor to speak to you, and thank you, thank you for your service. Thank your father for his service. I'm a native New Yorker, so I really appreciate him. Um, I wanted you. to say I had two points that I wanted to make. First of all, I am boiling over this. There should be no dead kids in any school, and I'll tell you why. We're sending how many billions of dollars to Ukraine, and we have homeless veterans. How many homeless veterans? Tens of thousands of homeless veterans. How about this novel idea? Give them jobs. Give them guns. Let them guard the schools. Hey, hold on a second. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, we're not going to be doing that. First of all, I love you, Shane. Thank you for your kind words. But I'm not going to give a bunch of homeless guys guns. I don't care if they're veterans or not. Uh, If they're they're on the street homeless, I want them off the street. I want them to get help. But um, they've probably got a screw loose, no offense. And the last thing we should be doing is giving these guys guns. Retired veterans. Can you concede on that one? What? Retired veterans? Retired veterans. Sure. Look, we need security in schools, and there are plenty of places to get them from. Um, but um, the homeless route, not really. Hey, Shane, is your name yeah. Shane? My real, it's Shana. Shana. Okay, Shana. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that's what it means. Okay. Now, I, had a point, I had a second point that Quick. I wanted to make. 
which is quick. Yeah, you know, all these all, all these people are all these um, Monday morning quarterbacks saying, you know, they should have seen that, you know, this was going to be that they're expecting the police to find the next school shooter based on what they're posting. And it's like Nostradamus. You can't, you know, hey, hold on a second. We're just we're just talking about it. I mean, look, Shana, they're coming after me and mess, messing with my content because I start talking about the election of 2020 and making fun of Bill de Blasio, and I'm getting my stuff censored. So if they can do that, maybe, just maybe, they should be looking at all these angry young men I've been hearing about. I don't know. I think it's something worth considering. Shane, I appreciate it. Happy Memorial Day. Have a safe one. I'll see you next week. Thank you.